morning, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us today on our latest webinar, which is, as you can see on the screen in front of you, entitled How to Win the Candidate, Speed, Security and Standing Out. I'm going to hand over to Hung and our amazing panellists very shortly. However, I just wanted to few, spend just, just a very few seconds talking about where the inspiration from, from what today's webinar came from. Um, so for those of you who aren't aware, here at Lorien, we're a tech and multidiscipline recruitment solutions provider. We cover a whole range of solutions through from PSL to RPO, MSP, search, statement of work and, and employed consulting. And we've been working across our client base recently and over the last six months. And, and we regularly, as part of my job, try to determine what trends we're going to see over the next year. And one thing every organization is expecting over the next 12 months is, is higher than previous attrition and a, and a real battle to obtain top talent out there in the marketplace. Um, as part of the consulting work that we do, we work with our, those clients to make sure that they can not only uh, attract the talent they need, but that they can also assess and pick the right candidates for them, but then actually that they can cru crucially secure them when they wanna make an offer. So when we look ahead to the next six months, we started thinking in this new world that we find ourselves in, the most buoyant job market, I think in over a decade, we started wondering what's gonna have the biggest impact. Is it gonna be our EVP in attracting candidates? Is it gonna be the speed of the processes? Can you make that offer before your competitors? Or will it be how thorough that your processes will be in determining and getting to know the right candidate and allowing them to get to know you? So I'm gonna launch a poll in, in just a second. Um, and it would be great if you could all just pick one of the elements that you think will have the biggest impact in the next six months. Um, thank you all again for attending. Um, and over to you, Hung. Um, Sammy, if you can stop screen sharing, that'd be great as well. Thanks very much. Great. Uh, welcome, everybody, to uh, this awesome panel and conversation. I hope you'll be um, very, uh, I hope you'll be very much uh, contributing to um, the conversation here, folks. So if you have any questions for the guests or anything, any points you want to make, um, please do go ahead and make them. Um, there should just be a mobile popped up to your screen right now, which is the poll that Darren has uh, uh, posted out. So if you want to quickly have a read of that and make your selection as to which one is what, um, it'd be great to have an idea as to what you think is the most important and significant uh, uh, feature uh, to, uh, to, to make your company a competitive hire. Um, okay, let's move on to... Um, Oh, hang on. I've tried to vote and it says hosts and panelists can't vote. And I feel like very much like yeah. a second, like a second class citizen there, you know, I was, <laughs> I was pressing away on option three and it wouldn't give me an option. Um, it was anyway. a split second decision for me to not allow that. And now I really regret it that you called me out on it. <laughs> that, that's okay. That's okay. Okay. So everyone vote on the poll and, and let's get on with it. Let's kick off with a few introductions, though, before we kick off. So uh, let's go as far as I see it on counterclockwise. So we'll go with you first, Neil. Who are you and what it is you do? So Neil Denton, Director of Recruitment for the UK for Capgemini. Great. How about you, Christine? Hey, so I'm Talent Acquisition Partner at the Financial Times. So I manage all recruitment for all product and technology teams. Fantastic. Uh, Richard? Hi there, everyone. So I'm Richard Matthews. I'm the Head of Resourcing for the Co-op Bank. Fantastic. And Kelly? Kelly Kankersey, uh, currently transitioning from a technology company called Zebra Technologies, where I have been responsible for global talent um, into my own business as a HR influencer. 
Fantastic. Um, and it's awesome because we've got a good spread of different types of businesses here, um, uh, which will give us be interesting to see whether there's any patterns of commonality or there's any like divergences in, in our experiences. Um, so let's just kick off with with that sort of big comment there, really, um, in terms of you know how you think the candidate market has changed in the last 12 months. So we've had this, you know, business as usual, then pandemic then kind of coming out of pandemic, almost like a three-phase move. Um, I wonder whether each of you could tell us a little bit about how you characterize those three phases as far as the candidate market is concerned. Um, so, Neil, uh, you look as if you know what you're doing. Let's go with you, to you first. Um, take us through your kind of characterization of how candidates are behaving. So thanks, Hung. I don't know about the know what I'm doing part, but um, I'll have a go. Um, so I think what we've seen is obviously during the pandemic, there was a drop off in vacancies that we were hiring for. So that suddenly plateaued out. Um, the bounce back that we've seen at Capgemini has been phenomenal. We, we were normally recruit about 1200. We'll do about three and a half thousand this year. Um, and what's changed about that is actually the, the candidates have got more choice because everybody is now bouncing back really well. Um, we're seeing lots of challenges around that, that decline element in terms of, of other offers. We're seeing lots of counter offers as well. Um, and there's, there's obviously a market where people are coming out to see if they can get a counter offer and then they can take it back to their current employer. And then people will stay at, that, at their employer as it's comfortable. Um, so it's a real struggle these days to tempt people out. Uh, and tempt the candidates to come in and engage. And, and the demands are getting more and more in terms of, you know, remote working, in terms of salaries, you know, in, in terms of their expectations. And I think, I think everybody on, on, on the call and, and, and in, you know, in the listening group will, will, under, will probably get the new normal bit. What, you know, what is normal going to be now? You know, I don't think we'll ever, we're going to go back to going into an office five days a week. I think there'll be a, a, a lot of remote working going on. Um, and we're driven by candidate work. So, so we can only go with what our clients say, um, and then we have to work around that. But, but ultimately, the candidates have got far more choice. Their, the salaries are, are, are increasing you know, at, a, at an incredible rate, which means we're now thinking about our early career strategy. Do we build that up to build that talent pool through? Yeah, really interesting. So it sounds like abundance mindset, um, elevated candidate expectations, um, and even a little bit of like, uh, almost I wouldn't say cynicism, but they're almost like <laughs> using the market conditions yeah. in order to extract better value uh, or better uh, better terms from existing employers and future employers as well. So kind of good times if you're like voluntarily job seeking. This, yeah. this is actually a very good moment, but difficult for us on the recruiting side. Um, go to you on this, Christine. How is it looking in a, a slightly different company? Obviously, a, a, a different type of uh, industry also publishing, uh, even though you're working in the tech side. But tell us a little bit more about how you're seeing candidate behavior change over the last 18 months or so. Yeah, for sure. So definitely um, this time last year, I mean, even earlier now, March last year. So I was actually on furlough myself as well for two to three months. But before we did, uh, we really quickly kind of built out a few talent pools. So we're like, okay, we know we're not hiring. Like similar to Neil, all of our vacancies got pulled. Uh, we know we're always going to be hiring for senior engineers. So we put out a couple of um, talent pooling job descriptions. And when I came back, I think I had well over like 150 applicants for a senior engineering role, which has never happened in the past. 
I mean, just to give you a measure, an, an average, you know, on, on an average role that I put out there, I'd be lucky to get maybe three to five senior engineers high, um, apply directly. So the fact that we had over 100, 150 um, at the height of the pandemic really goes to show, you know, I think the fact that job security was a big aspect. Um, I actually went through the pipeline the other day and a lot of them were, a lot of candidates came from startups. Um, I saw a lot of them were like from travel sectors as well. So you could really start to see the candidates from the industries who were really affected from the pandemic started applying at other companies. That said though, I started reaching out to the candidates because of course we're hiring now and I was, I barely got a response. Uh, I think just, you know, cross-referencing back to LinkedIn as well, they've all happily found jobs. Um, I would say Q4 last year onwards when things started picking up. Um, so I think what that meant for us this year is just a lot more efforts and initiatives going into um, attraction strategies and really going outbound and doing a lot of sourcing ourselves. Um, similarly to Neil as well, I think what we're finding is candidates are asking us more and more questions around hybrid working, what is our remote working policy, you know, what is our flexible working policy looking like. So increasingly more so, I think we realize we need to embed that into our um, EVP and also on our initial candidate attraction piece. So what does that look like in order to get us to stand out amongst other companies? Do you remember, thank you, Christine. Do you remember, it was 12 months ago, um, when there was panic about people, you know, jobs being pulled and, you know, what do recruiters do and all the rest of it. And one of the things that was suggested is that now is a great time to build your network, folks. Um, well, guess what? I think we've missed the boat. <laughs> yes. it's, it's over, like already over, right? In, in less than 12 months, um, where candidates were receptive, particularly highly skilled in-demand candidates like tech uh, uh, like uh, software people and all the rest of it, they were receptive to have a conversation maybe for six months or so in that period last year when people were losing jobs and all the rest of it. Now it's like demand sky high. They've been reallocated different places. They're very comfortable with different things. That opportunity is gone. We've kind of gone to a different place now. Okay, let's go to you uh, on this, Richard. Working for, again, a different type of business um, with different challenges. How are you seeing um, the candidate behavior change working uh, for the co-op? So I think so. it's really interesting point so far from the panel. I think it's, it's, it's changed a hell of a lot. I think we're in a, a, probably the, the toughest um, candidate market that I've, I've seen in probably in the last kind of 12 years really since the financial crisis if we're looking at financial services specifically you know candidate deselection you know they're staying in more kind of processes it's really it's harder to kind of build that um rapport you haven't had more touch points with candidates to really elevate your own kind of evp and talk about um you know what you are as, as an organization and how you kind of attract people so I think it's I think it's a really tough market out there for, for kind of recruiters. We were talking at the the start about the highs and lows of, of recruiting before we joined today. And um, there's a lot of resilience being shown by recruiters out there at, at, at the moment, given what's kind of going on. But you know, interesting point around kind of people and candidates from different markets. We've certainly seen that. Will they naturally want to stay within financial services when you know maybe the kind of hospitality industry increases again? So we're, we're kind of, it's a bit of a watching brief for us at the moment, because I think, you know, we've secured candidates by moving at pace and by moving quickly and by having a strong EVP. But um, how do they feel when, you know, their own kind of traditional markets that have potentially worked in reopen again? Fascinating, Richard. So do I understand what does that you mean for, for the UK? So Richard, 
I think we still got you. Um, maybe we don't. I was about to ask Richard if you he can hear me. It'll yep. be interesting. So it sounds to me that basically what happened was the co-op identified uh, certain industry sectors as places where we could redeploy people or, or recruit specifically from hospitality sector, travel sector, etc. And now having recruited those people and those uh, industries, we can anticipate them recovering somewhat. You're now thinking, oh my goodness, are these people, have they used this as a shelter for six to 12 months? Are they now moving back? How do we, how do we uh, make sure that we, we keep the people we've recruited? Um, very, uh, very interesting challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, the industries are starting to open up again, but, you know, it, it, it's a watching brief for us. We haven't seen attrition kind of increase on those kind of new starters that we've hired over the last kind of six to eight months, but you know, we're very much kind of looking at it. Another thing that's probably increased is obviously that flexible working, people being based in, in different locations. Actually, our kind of target target market or where we can attract people from, but also where we can have our own staff be um, kind of poached from or headhunted from is really broadened out as well. So, you know, it's, it's a, a challenging market um, that we're, we're definitely seeing at the moment. I didn't even think of that about that fascinating challenge, isn't it? I mean, we often think about the globalization of the labor market uh, through remote is a positive thing because we suddenly have a global marketplace to recruit from. But guess what? You are also a source site for your competitors to recruit from you. Um, so, so you need to really think about retention and how do we make sure that, you know, some company in San Francisco. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how do you how do you make sure a company in San Francisco doesn't take an interest in your engineering department suddenly? Uh, guess what? They probably are if you're any good. So, uh, you know, all kinds of challenges. Okay, finally, go to you, uh, Kelly. Thanks for being patient. Uh, quick characterization of how you have seen the candidate market change over the last 18 months. Yeah, I think a lot of it's been mentioned, but some specific things a bit to what Christine and I think Neil said, we proactively had to look at our talent pool. We're a tech company, we get a lot of um, speculative CVs. So we have this database and proactively manage it because um, it was hard to entice people from our normal processes. A couple of things we also created, we actually started looking at at creating our own alumni. We've got a lot of people who've had a history with us, who've moved on. And that actually has been a fantastic source. Not only did we get some returners, but actually access to other talents that we weren't aware of. Um, one of the things that was close to my heart that has been very hard for the company sometimes to balance, but when talent, war for talent term has been around a long time and in the tech market, it's, it's kind of known, is um, we were able to enhance some of our inclusion diversity strategies through actually building pools for a more neurodiverse community. So we've had some real successes in engineering um, to customer success, where sometimes our managers would have been closed because these individuals didn't have all the competencies, but actually kind of changing conversation to skills, it opened the manager's eyes. But I think we've had to be more than our EVP to attract talent, um, much more. You know, we can't just have a sustainability statement, actually show what we're doing what purpose and flexibility is not only about um, interesting about where they work and how people want to know what flexibility do they have in their roles? Can they do special projects? Can they increase their skills? So you've got to think much more um, agile on how you create jobs and how you um, retain them. 
You know what, let's sit on that idea a little bit, uh, Kelly, because I think it's fascinating um, sort of segue, but it's totally related to how attractive businesses might be. Um, it seems that candidate market has the expectations been elevated um, and their uh, demand for agency, if you like, has increased, uh, meaning that they want more choice. They want to have options, uh, they, uh, determining, you know, when they work, uh, how they work, and indeed what they're working on, you know, stuff that presumably in the past uh, we weren't so sort of able to, to negotiate um, you know we'd negotiate at the market level by our selection as to which ones which path or company would join these days they're interacting with companies and actually they're pushing into us and saying no we want to have this this and this component um, can you give us like uh, and this is an open question to all of us here can you give us like some of the things that um, people are looking for we talk about flexibility is almost as a flow, as a default that's emerging um, but what do they mean by that? Do they are they predominantly about choosing when they arrive in the office? Is it about killing the commute, um, or is it about like taking down hours, let's say, um, or is it about you know uh, potentially having a different choices of team or you know a, more uh, flexibility in career path when they go in? Like, what are you hearing from the candidates um, that are coming into your pipelines? Um, uh, I'll throw this open to anybody here. So I think pretty much all of what you've just said. I mean, definitely the 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 the, the commuting is it seems to be a thing of the past. I mean, what we're it's, it's, see as a client-led business, it's it's quite challenging because obviously if our clients need people on site, then they're going to have to travel. And what we're seeing, are, you know, are people wanting to to almost be home-based, you know, and maybe go in one or two days a month, yet alone a week, as 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 maybe in in pre-pandemic. So. So I, I think we are seeing that that more flexible approach. Um, we have had requests for um, reduced hours, condensed hours, you know, all the usual, you know, um, things that, that candidates would like to discuss. But I think where that was on their wish list, it's now becoming part of their interview process and recruitment and, and the recruiters are getting caught in that as well. So, so just to qualify the candidate, you, you know, you're getting really into the deep nitty gritty of what that candidate wants. And then those questions have to be, again, verified in the interview by the hiring managers because, you know, people will have different choices. And, and as I said before, we we are losing candidates because we only offer up to 70 percent, say, working from from home or working remotely. But other can other companies are offering 100 percent working from home. So, you know, it's a big challenge for for, for companies, you know, like ourselves and, and I think all tech companies. I think to Neil's point, I think that's generally the the. The, the piece that everyone dialogues, which is around the, the, the working pattern and so forth. And I think um, employees are smart on it now. And the other thing that um, we're, we're finding is um, a lot more questions around what's the impact of my role in the organization. And beyond purpose, actually, I think people want to have a much more kind of impactful approach and um, we are a very functionally aligned organization. So people are much, and, and, you know, and I know, you know, people who are joining startups have that agility. So there's a lot we're losing to a lot of startups, not necessarily money on the fact that, hey, I can try a lot of number of things. You're going to pigeonhole me into one career path. So um, definitely flex career paths, um, you know, much more. Let me cross over. 
it sounds like we need to have like a, 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 a real rethink as to how we design a, a, an employee experience as they move through our through our businesses. Um, I think, you know, you, you rewind back two years ago, pre-pandemic, uh, even the idea of having like a career path in your business, I think was quite a rare thing. Um, uh, you know, it was often up to the individual employee to to figure it out um, or to negotiate with your direct manager to say, okay, I want to do this. It was never like planned out. There wasn't any uh, like strategy across the business to say, here's the ways in which you can move through the company um, or here's the way in which your job can change if you so wanted to. None of that was on the table. But as you say, uh, uh, Neil, um, uh, these things that might've been like wish list type stuff 12 months ago, 18 months or so ago, even uh, sort of, we might even call that like almost diva style behavior from candidates. So once upon a time, <laughs> right? <laughs> remember, once upon a time, you're recruiting for someone, they come in, they say they want condensed hours. You're thinking, who is this yeah. guy? <laughs> you know, <Next>. straight away. <laughs> exactly. But now it's like we have to rethink because this is becoming default, a huge challenge. And I don't think it's fair on recruiters to have to deal with candidates without being fully equipped by their business as to what they can possibly say. Because how, how is the local recruiter who's been tasked to do this job meant to think about where this person is going to be going, you know, in, in throughout the business? It really needs to have a, I don't even know what function in the company does this type of work, but it seems to me it needs to be like a root and branch type reform as to how jobs get created. Um, yeah, interesting. Very, very interesting. Okay, let's move on about what we can do about it. Um, so it's super competitive. We know this. Um, and we know that the demand is high. We know that, you know, the, the, the situations change. What can we as recruiters do to, to help our companies be more competitive with uh, recruiting these people? Um, let's uh, chop this up into bits. We talked already about improving EVP. Uh, what does that mean? So I'll, I'll jump in there if that's if that's okay. So I think you know we're we're probably as an organisation we're probably at a, a, a point where um, you know the the world's changing. The world's kind of changed you know dramatically over the last eighteen months. But also the impacts on people are looking at their impacts on society individually. You know we we all saw uh, the when people stopped kind of travelling and actually the you know, the, the CO2 uh, kind of uh, changes that we saw on maps that we saw across the world last year. So I think everyone is looking, you know, we're in a strong position and yeah, as, a, as, an eth- as the UK's ethical, uh, original kind of ethical bank, that, you know, we've got a strong EVP from a, um, you know, from a values and behaviours perspective that really kind of comes through the organisation. But I think what people are looking at now is, is all those things that, you know, that's been mentioned already, but how... Um, from a, you know, if you're looking at um, individuals now, what's what? How did they treat staff when they're looking at homeschooling over the last year? You know, people have had to, you know, take extra additional time off to care for family members. What what was the organisation like then? What did the flexibility did they offer? So I think the EVP, you know, is broadened out, and it, you know, everyone will have their every candidate will have their own individual story or their own individual um, piece that they'll need to tag on. So. I think EVP is a lot broader now, but it, we need to make it a lot more individual. Uh, recruiters, as you said, Hung, need to know exactly what they can offer and what we can offer as an organisation. But I think candidates are really savvy now and they, they look beyond the kind of marketing kind of taglines to actually what does this mean day to day and how do we um, 
you know, how, how would I be treated uh, by this organization? Yeah, so brilliant, uh, Richard. So the key point I got from that is there's two ways to think about EVP. Number one, obviously the big headline at the scale of the company, you know, what is the company commitment? What, are, what is the company doing um, as, a, as, a, as a business in society? But also at the individual level, like what can this, in, what is the relationship between the company and an employee? Like how do they actually have conversations and what can the employee do um, that would kind of satisfy, if you like, their need to contribute positively in some way? Um, any thoughts on, 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 on that? Um, Christine, go to you with this. I mean, is there a way in which you could kind of create a job design in such a fashion that the person would feel as if they're contributing positively, I guess? Yeah, I really kind of resonated with that, uh, with what Richard was saying, because I was just kind of thinking about it, you know, FT dealt with the pandemic so well, um, you know, they didn't make any job cuts, um, our leadership team all took 30% pay cuts um, during the pandemic, and, you know, there was like regular communication in terms of what's going on, so I think the way they treated employees was so amazing, and actually one key thing as well was, you know, was bonuses were forfeited last year, and I think the same happened to a lot of companies, they actually paid us back this year, because they actually realized that their bottom line was actually much higher than they thought it was. So they actually gave everyone a bonus, which was a nice little surprise. Um, so when I realized when I was giving out offers to candidates earlier this year, because our bonuses were still meant to be forfeited this year, candidates were like, mm, that's okay. Like, how did you deal with the pandemic last year? And actually when they paid us back, it actually left with a positive taste on candidates' mouths. Um, you know, at the end, they're like, wow, that's great. You know, that's awesome. So, you know, we love the way you kind of dealt with um, the pandemic and we know that you'll look after us, you know, if this were to happen again and touch wood it happen wouldn't so that's definitely one thing i think from the evp side that works i think in terms of job design it's tricky um you know i think the word autonomy comes up quite a lot with us right i think you know as an engineer it's quite specific in terms of what you'd be working on but it's just having the autonomy I think to figure out like what what role you want to venture into and we saw this a lot this year a lot of internal mobility <clears throat> actually so a lot of people um have actually expressed an interest moving to another team so what can we do to help facilitate that <clears throat> from from our perspective so there's a lot of work i think from a recruitment perspective and also from an internal l d perspective as well to help facilitate that you know what that's actually a really good point because the the internal mobility side actually uh solves two problems if you like in the sense number one from a recruiter point of view hopefully it will help you uh, uh, find people uh, into jobs and make sure you know those vacancies are filled it also help you with attrition of course because if you can get people who were motivated to potentially leave their jobs but there's actually another opportunity you could re redeploy them to that'd be amazing but now you've got this elevated consciousness if you like from these candidates you could also present your internal mobility program to external candidates to say you know what um we're not just a hire and then dump you into a into a cubicle type of business um we're a business you can come in here and you can grow your career in in a in a, in a way in which you want here's an example of our program so uh, i think there's there's all kinds of reasons why the im is going to be uh, if it isn't already uh, one of the big priorities of recruiters, it, it really should be. Um, okay, um, a final thing on this, Christine, you mentioned something really interesting, just as a quick aside, but you were given a bonus as a recruiter and that elevated your morale and therefore your ability to communicate positive vibes to the candidate was elevated. Maybe that's a quick win. <laughs> like, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And I think you have to be bought in ultimately. Right? We're selling the company. Yeah. So we need to be right. Yeah. Right. So I'm not trying to say here, folks, that yes, recruiters need to be overly rewarded compared to their peers in the company. But 
if you're struggling to recruit and you want to sort of amp up the EVP, you've got to take care of the people that are having conversations with your, 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 your employees, right? Yeah. Your, your future employees. So take care of your recruiting team. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's think about process though. Um, uh, there's another way in which we could um, kind of improve our competitiveness in terms of hiring candidates is process. Let's talk about how processes have changed uh, sort of uh, in response really to these elevated candidate demands. Um, let's go with the, you on this, Callie. Have you got any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, um, sort of <laughs> sometimes we can be very bureaucratic with our processes, you know, lots and lots of touch points. I think we've had to be sharper. Um, I think technology has enhanced things, but often is seen as a little bit of an unknown barrier but I think where I can only talk about the companies I've worked for, where we've used technology to maybe assess more attitude than technical skills and so forth, we've had a much better success rate. One of the things um, we've we've tried to change the mindset of managers and actually take some training out of what we would do with our customer success. So think about when you te- um, work with a customer. You want to try and get back to them in 24 hours. You want to, you know, that's a pivotal piece. We've, it's a different decision point because you want to be sure, I get it. But we're saying to managers, why does it take you five days when you actually know what the answer is and be safe? And we've had some real traction by using the same methodology as customer success to kind of look at resourcing. So take some of the bureaucracy that we create ourselves uh, make it a bit more human, but use technology to make better analytical de- um, decisions. Sorry. Excuse me. Sorry. Um, I, I was muted on two sides there because I was so concerned about the uh, sort of, there's obviously building works, of course there is, outside my flat. And I thought, <laughs> right, i got to kill the noise. And I overdid it. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. So what, what technology are you talking about, Callie? You're talking about technology is going to help us analyze what? Um, so we've got a number of things. One is we look at our job profiles and make sure there's no biases. We've got some sort of AI that helps us sort of sift CVs because we get a high volume. But we've, we've now made that much more, um, you know, less biased, but much more friendly and looking at more you know, has this person got the agility, the attitude for the organization we're looking for? Not necessarily the six academia pieces that we can see through a CV. And, you know, there's a number of, um, without plugging anybody, there's a number of technology firms out there that can help you. And they've got much better. Right. So I think the key thing here is we have to um, uh, review um, the things that we previously used to try and understand what is a good candidate. Um, uh, we can actually, uh, we, we need to rethink that. Less uh, sort of dependence on things like CV, more dependence on things that um, uh, in terms of assessing the attributes or behaviors of, of an individual rather than uh, a document they've produced, they've self-produced and, and are self-reported to say, uh, this is what's what. Okay, excellent. Uh, Neil, I'm going to go to you on this uh, as a follow-up. Procedural change. Um, what have you done? I mean, you've just, the first thing you said that, hey, you're in a competitive situation because you've got all of these challenges. You've got these constraints as well. You know, people want Capgemini consultants on site, so you can't offer the remote uh, degree. Other companies can. You have to compete in a different way. Um, how have you competed in terms of improving process? 
So I, I think we looked at it that we, we had to speed everything up. Um, but part of that journey with attracting the candidate was also making sure the hiring managers understood what market conditions were like, what was going on, you know, with, with how difficult it was to attract. I mean, we use a few technologies, you know, like Horsefly, et cetera, to identify, you know, that where our challenging markets are and, and what we need to do. So, you know, we, we still had different pockets of the business doing one, two, three, four interviews. And then we, we sort of said, no, that's not what we're going to be doing. So we, we, we tend to do one interview for, a, for uh, in terms of like, a, it could be a digital interview, just literally going through the skill process. And then the final 30 minutes could be just fit looking at the fit, you know, of the individual. And then that's it. And it would depend on the grades, obviously, if, for the more senior grades, we've got to be a little bit more thorough and we'd, we'd probably go to the two interview process, but doing away with all the unnecessary, you know, four interviews and coffee, co coffee conversations and, and really making sure the candidate gets that experience, you know, that they feel really engaged in that process. Um, and at the back end, you know, we, we put onboarder in, in terms of, you know, making sure that there's a communication and engagement with the candidates when they've been offered, because we were seeing as well, we were losing candidates in that space because obviously where they're currently employed, it gives them a chance to work on them during their notice to, to, to sort of to, to persuade them to, 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 to stay. And, you know, that, that was a big challenge, but, we, you know, a big change what we had to do was really work with that hiring manager community to, you know, almost book the, the, when you set an advert out and you give us a job role, you know, block out a couple of days to do your interviewing, you know, make some time for sifting, but just make sure it's all booked in the diaries. Make sure the candidates know when the interview dates are and just really tighten up those efficiencies um, and almost going back to to old school with you know with, with st almost stopping the clock at each stage and then you can identify where's the breakdown which are the areas that we need to work on um, but I think it's it, yeah there, it wasn't a one-size-fits-all and it wasn't definitely one fix it, it was the candidate journey as well as the hiring manager community and making sure they understood yeah that's really good go ahead Kelly. Can I just add, I think Neil hit on a really good point. And one of the things I'm finding is even though we want standardization, particularly global companies, you know, same experience everywhere else, it's a much more individualized hiring market and a much more personalized and you have to adapt. And um, just one example I wanted to share is um, we're, we're a technical engineering and we have very rigid technical kind of, not exams or stuff, but assessments. And we've actually moved away a little bit because we, we did a little experiment where people who'd failed some of these assessments, I hate the word fail, but didn't yeah, yeah. get benchmark. We hired them on gigs, said, look, you know, we're not sure about you. You're not sure about us. And we have had an 80% success rate of retention and high performance on a pool that yeah. we would have said maybe doesn't meet our criteria. So, you know, I think you've got to take risks. And uh, well, you've also got to assess the assessment, right? Yeah. Um, oh, well, like, yeah. like, this is exactly what you've, what you've done. It's like, we may overly trust the assessment as a, as a filter and we're biased to do that because we want to reduce 10,000 candidates to a hundred or whatever. So we have a, we, we want the, the assessment to be true basically. Um, but maybe it's just ritual, you know, maybe it's just uh, uh, something that's helping us feel that way. But in fact, there's loads of candidates in the reject pile. that could be, as you say, uh, very high performance. We'll talk about assessment in a second. 
Um, in fact, let's talk about it now, because uh, I just noticed that we're, we're moving really quickly in terms of time. Um, assessment, it is important to do due diligence. I mean, um, yes, we need to create great candidate experience. We need to kind of make sure uh, that we are delivering against their expectation. But at the same time, we have a duty to our companies to make sure that the people we're hiring are actually fit for the job and fit for the company and all the rest of it. Um, how do we strike the balance to that? I mean, how, have we sort of had to change this a little bit back in the day, maybe we'd throw in, okay, you go away, uh, come back with your technical assessment, do it over the weekend kind of thing, or maybe use a four hour test or whatever. Have we had to crunch down the amount of commitment we get from candidates? Christine? Yeah, for sure. Um, just checking, I'm not amused. Yeah, so give an example. So when I joined FT back in 2019, one of our teams, um, I think their time to hire at the time was about like 119 days or something uh, from start to finish. So it's really just looking at more detail, like what's going on here? Because actually the process itself was pretty slick. It was a tech test. Once they pass a tech test, it's a technical peering exercise on site followed by behavioral, and then you should be able to make a decision. So in theory, you should be able to wrap that up, wrap that up in a week. So like, why is it taking so long? So the drop-off rates really came during the tech test, obviously. So <clears throat> I think we worked really closely with the team to assess like, well, what are you really trying to assess out of this test here? Because it, it transpires that the technical test was just forms the basis of what they need. And then during the pairing exercise, it takes a tech test a step further. So I'm like, well, why can't you just do a shorter test to assess what you need to assess and do the bulk of the testing and the on-site interview? So they did manage to um, tweak it. So now I think it now goes down, um, the tech test now only takes one hour to, com to complete. Uh, I think we see about like a 98% completion rate now, which is much quicker. Um, and of course, thinking about diversity and inclusion, which underpins everything that we do, we want to ensure that the tests well, A, that people can do it in their own time if they're busy with other commitments or interviewing at other places as well. So something that's not going to be too lengthy, ideally. Um, so super short, half an hour to one hour test just to assess what you need to assess. And then we can ask and grow them further in the on-site interview. All right. So quick, quick round robin on this um, and just give me give me a number. Like what is an acceptable length of time a candidate should be spending doing a technical test today? Uh, Neil? About an hour. About an hour. You what? What we? You know, you have to take the candidate experience where they've been working, and and you're just making sure they've got the basic skills. You know, we we have a lot of challenges with hiring managers wanting every skill ticked on their job description. You know, and they're hiring for now, not for the future kind of thing. So, you know, for me, it's important that the, the candidate has seven, seven out of 10. And then when we get to the face-to-face -face element, you're really talking them through the areas of weakness so that you can make sure you can develop them. And then that way that gives a, a much better experience and you get the right people into the business. Yep. Uh, go ahead. I want to, uh, thoughts on this, the, the optimal, what's the optimal amount of time uh, or the acceptable amount of time a candidate should be committing to your recruiting process um, in terms of assessment? And I, would, I, would, I, would, I would agree with the hour. I think, you know, we, we then have so many other touch points that we need to have from a, you know, from a keeping warm from a candidate perspective, you know, and, and everything else. Actually, the assessment, you don't want people to feel like they're pressurised and you, well, you do want to feel some pressure, but not um, in the way that, um, you know, you're driving them to kind of too hard and too short a time, you know, half an hour, et cetera, wouldn't, wouldn't allow a, com a candidate comfortable experience but you know an hour definitely feels you know feel, feels about right and you should be able to get everything you need from a from a candidate from a technology assessment within an hour 
Okay, let's go to another one. Um, how many how many uh, sort of uh, stages is acceptable to a candidate? Neil's gone with two, essentially a digital kind of assessment. Then I presume some face to face or something approximate to that. Um, uh, what uh, what would be uh, the, the 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 right kind of number of stages for a, a candidate these days? Uh, give us a number, folks. I'd say three. I'd say two to three max. Yeah, two to three max. So the eight round interviews out the out the window. <laughs> no, uh, you no. can't do that. Uh, absolutely, do they happen. Um, <laughs> well, the, the interesting thing is, uh, you know, it starts us to kind of think about what interviews were there for back in the day. You know, when you had these rounds of interviews, how many, how much of those things were there to actually generate some sort of internal consensus, uh, mm. rather than, mm. you, you know, what I mean, oh, yeah. we've got to speak to Neil about this, otherwise he'll get upset if he's not consulted. You know, that kind of that kind of feeling in, in recruiting, I think happened way too much, which actually loaded on a lot of unnecessary touch points. Um, final one on this though, what is too fast for a candidate? Uh, because there is a risk that, you know, I'm like potentially, someone's called me up to say, are you interested? I said, sure, I'll take a look. And then like two weeks later, I'm already like apparently starting a new job. Is that too fast? I mean, is there a point where a can you've got to think about the candidate psychology and kind of kind of getting into the idea of moving. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Depends yeah, on so level, I would think. Sorry, Rich, go. Sorry, sorry. So I, I would say it depends on, so it's not so much the speed of the overall kind of speed that it takes. I, I would say it's the amount of different touch points that you had. So, you know, if, if you were within the kind of 10 days, you've got, you know, multiple different touch points where they're really engaged, you know, you're having kind of different conversations and there's different processes. That, that's really kind of key. You know, if it's 10 days and you've got two touch points, then, you know, absolutely, that would feel way too quick for anyone to make a decision. So I think it's less about the timescales. It's more about how many different touch points you're in there. And does the, does the candidate see the value in those touch points as well? Do they feel engaged for it? And the hiring manager, as Neil said, is, is kind of key and critical to that. So, you know, it's, a, it's not just the recruiter's job. It's everyone's job to, to kind of make sure that we find the right people and we get them in. So having touch points with the business so that they feel empowered to make a quicker decision is, is critical as well. And, and I think if you're clear on the communication and what your process is, I think candidates are quite realistic, but sometimes we're not good at that. We add extra pieces. And I can only talk about my industry is obviously we're going through this whole piece of being, being inclusive and diverse. We want to have panel interviews, but you know, your diverse community is very small. So asking those same people who frankly, I find myself very insulting suddenly say, can you be on a panel? Because you represent something. I'm not sure does well for us because candidates are smart and they know so that doesn't help um but it is being clear transparent and be honest on the speed of your decision making you know what that's a really fascinating point that probably is a, a second uh, <laughs> sort of show on this um but the, the, the one thing i think is a key takeaway is if you can describe your process and publish that to your candidate uh, that's going to help just immediately set their expectation, whether it's fast or, or slow, at least yeah. you can tell them. Um, and, but you're not like uh, sort of say, yeah. oh, by the way, there's another thing happening. And then, you know, leading these people around. Okay, uh, I think we've got to go to the Q&A. So, um, so folks, thank you so much for that dialogue. We're going to stay on screen. We're going to answer some of the questions that the crowd has uh, asked. If there's any more, by the way, use the Ask a Question feature, pump uh, up that list and we'll get through them as soon as we can. Uh, Darren. 
Amazing. Thanks. My, my face appearing on the screen was a good reminder, I guess, that it was, that it was time for Q&A. Um, so the, so the, the first question from, um, from Faye at Nationwide, hi Faye, is that um, she's interested to get a view from the, from the panel on the attendees as well, that since COVID, um, they've interviewed candidates virtually, which has proven uh, to give great benefits both for candidates and hiring managers. Um, but she's asking that as we come out of COVID and we're planning to, that they're planning to keep that going, um, they, they'd like to know what, what others are planning to do post, post Freedom Day. When we can you want me to take this, Darren? Again. That'd be great, Neil. Yeah, go for it. So from, from Capgemini, we, we absolutely have seen the, the benefits of, of virtual, whether it's assessment centres at early careers or whether it's virtual interviews. However, you know, with neurodiversity in mind, we will offer a, uh, a blended approach. Um, I would think 75% of our interviews and assessment centres will remain virtual. But we will offer, if the candidate prefers, a face-to-face, -face, whether it's an assessment centre or, or, or a normal interview panel. Because, I, 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 you know, we've got to bear in mind that not everybody likes or, 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 or you know, goes well with, with, with virtual events. Um, you know, so, so we're really keen that we don't lose good candidates because we don't cater for them. You know, so for me, very much a blended approach. Um, but I think it will be 75, 25 in terms of virtual and, and, um, and face to face. Good. Can I just Thanks. come in there? Um, the, the, key, the key thing that Neil mentioned right at the beginning and all of the panelists mentioned is that you've got to give flexibility and that means choice. So in other words, give the candidates some sort of choice as to what they prefer to be assessed by and then roll with it that way. And it just removes the issue. Um, I think if you said, a virtual only or on-site only, or even if you had them both, but you force the candidate to do it, that automatically is going to be bad uh, candidate experience. Okay, go ahead, Darren. Now I was just going to, I was going to see what the uh, the other members of the panel think. What what's going to happen at the FT, Christine? Yeah, to be honest, um, we haven't actually identified anything yet because in product and tech, we're not expected to return to work till April 2022. So at the moment, in the meantime, a lot of our own people are probably not going to be in the office anyway um, until then. But that said, there are a few people trickling back in. And for some roles, we have given the option to say, like, look, you know, one or two of our members of the panel will be in the office. So if you want to go, you're more than welcome to. But so far, no one's taken that up just yet. So I don't think we're in any rush. I think that's most likely... I'm taking a lot of the feedback on board here today as well, that we would also adopt a more kind of hybrid approach, give people the option. Um, I think my main worry is really more around flexibility. I think, you know, with everything being remote, I can see people are more open to doing an interview an hour from now versus, right, let me jump on a train and get to the office. So I'm hoping we can still keep that flexibility aspect. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I mentioned it in the, in the chat. We were having a, a discussion around... Um, around speed and, and number of interview stages and stuff like that. And there is that fear, isn't there, that, um, that if you go with a, an in-person interview, not as mandatory, but as a, as a strong preference, it adds more friction to the process. And unfortunately, some candidates will just go where there's less friction, where it's more comfortable, where it will move quicker for them. Um, so there is that being able to offer the best of both worlds is, is key. Um, just I, think that, more I think that's a... I think that's a good point, Darren, because I think actually that friction sometimes is a, is a, is a really good thing. You know, we've, we've all spoken about kind of candidates dropping out and, and attrition. So I think there is a balance there between you want to create enough friction so that, um, you know, you're really testing the, a candidate's commitment throughout the process rather than, you know, day one they're due to start and then they kind of drop out. So there's a there's a balance there. And I think sometimes we have, you know, the flexibility has been brilliant from, and we've seen the benefit of, benefit of it from, a you know, an assessment perspective. But you know, that deselection 
point is is probably where you see the face to face having to commit, having to travel somewhere. You know, that's that's probably you know something that we're probably looking forward to seeing a bit more of. Great. No, I agree totally, Rich. That's a really good point. And um, Callie, in your in your future role as an independent consultant, what I'm going to put you on the spot. What would your advice be in this scenario? Um, I think it's blended. I think everyone's needs are different. You know, I'm a human humanist, so I need that contact. And actually something I'm working with a company where they've got, um, it's a very high-end tech company. And the last stage, we call it walk and talk. We're meeting just for, you know, so they get to know somebody. So I think it's going to be a hybrid. I think to everyone's point, I think, you know, there will be a little bit of back to office. I think you can't deny that. And you won't really get to know a culture until you kind of meet a few people. So I, I've actually had candidates say to me, can I meet somebody for a coffee? I don't, I don't want to make my final decision. So we're going to have a blended approach, um, certainly my previous company. And that's Brilliant. what I would recommend. No, that's super interesting. Thank you. And I'm actually surprised you, you must have all done a really good job because we're not seeing too many questions come through. So I think you aren't genuinely as, as some questions were coming through, you're answering them live. So that's a really good approach. But I think in, in lieu of in lieu of getting some more questions, I thought I'd share the, um, the results of the poll. Let me know if you can see this come through. I don't. Can you guys see that now or is it just mm -hmm. the attendees? No, I can, we can see it. Yeah. It's, it's, pretty, see it. it's pretty evenly split, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It, it's, yeah. It's Brexit all over again. I think that's a good sign, though, because actually when, when the kind of poll was coming up, I'm just going to close it because it's on my screen. Um, when it was kind of coming up, I was thinking, actually, it probably, without wanting to sit on the fence, it, it was probably a blend of, of, of all of those different activities. Yeah. Um, and I'm really not trying to sit on the fence, but it but it really is. So it's interesting to see that kind of play through, I guess, in the poll results. I wonder, sort of, as we come to the um, the end of the the, the the webinar, it might be useful for us to have a think about what recommendations um, we could give to the uh, the crowd in terms of what can be done uh, to make your uh, business more competitive as a recruiting business I guess um, so when you're fighting for it um, and you know you're encountering these things what can what can recruiters do to improve um, our ability to hire um, let's go with this uh, Neil I'm going to go with you first I've got a feeling you've got to jump off the call earlier than anyone else so let's get you in on this idea <laughs> Um, a bit of advice for the people who can who, who can uh, are listening right now. How can they improve their uh, recruiting competitiveness? So it's about it's being agile, um, remembering one size doesn't fit all. Um, sometimes you have to personalise the, the the candidate experience because you might have a, a, a fantastic candidate that doesn't fit in with timescales, but you've got to work around that. So that 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 agility is absolutely key, and just make sure that you're working and briefing your hiring manager community and, and your stakeholders around what some of the challenges, you know, provide that deep insight because that will help them make their hiring decisions. Um, I mean, we're forever being caught out when a bid gets submitted and all, all of a sudden we don't hear till right at the end that they want 50 people in Barrow in Furnace, you know, and anybody who knows Barrow in Furnace knows that BAE have got that market captured up completely. So there aren't people there. So you have to look where's the nearest group of people. So it's providing that insight and, and definitely being agile. Great. How about you, Christine? Give us a bit of advice. 
Yeah, so I think what we found in this whole period is um, quite similar to what Neil said, actually. It's having clear, aligned comms across the entire team. Because I think what we found is, you know, we had people coming in through the door, but there was just a big drop-off, like, you know, maybe it's a diffusion responsibility and teams were assuming someone else will pick up the tech test. It's, you know, having centralized comms amongst the teams. We created a run book, so everyone's aligned in terms of, you know, what the SLAs are, what do we expect, what is the feedback loop like. Um, and then also, importantly, celebrating our wins and successes with the internal teams because I think what we found is internal teams could also get interview fatigue so you know they're there we're, we're very reliant on our engineers to be interviewing and also getting people in through the door so if they're tired then we're, we're kind of stuck um so it's just ensuring that we also you know celebrate our successes you know how many people have we hired how many tests have we reviewed how many people have we um interviewed so our own teams can also see their efforts so I think once we saw that we saw massive engagement which then meant everyone's engaged and once people come in through the door everyone's happy so yeah i find actually keeping internal teams aligned is super important over communicate right i mean that's all one of the things that we've learned in being a distributed business business is is that we need to over communicate rather than under communicate and i think recruiters have definitely been guilty of under communicating mm-hmm. to outside of our function what is going on um like well, we seem to be scared to update the business you know what is the state of players but I think we now want to know, and even if they don't want to know, they can ignore it. So, so make sure that, you know, it's not that intrusive. You give an, an update someplace. But I think we've also become a lot more, uh, if you like, data literate, um, even though a long way to go. But since COVID-19, all of us have been studying tables and stats and charts <laughs> a lot more. Um, so, um, you know, I don't think that that type of thing will have an impact in our how acceptable some of our communication is. Like you say, some sign of where some visibility of progress, I think, is what we can do. Okay, Richard, go to you with this. So, so I think I definitely echo, you know, what the, what the panel said there. You know, we've got um, a, a number of things. So the hiring manager briefing, you know, as Neil said, is just is just off the charts, the most critical thing. Taking data, we use Talksfire as well, uh, Neil, but taking data, making sure you're really educating the hiring community, letting, you know, letting them know that candidates have, have kind of falling out, letting hiring managers feel the pain sometimes of, of candidates dropping out is, is really key. But don't be afraid to, now's the time to try new things. So, you know, whether it be hiring managers that have not wanted to do video adverts before, have been scared of, you know, trying, you know, different, different kind of approaches. Nothing is off the table now. So I would say try loads of different uh, approaches that are you know, maybe you've not tried before. Assess them. Really take that time at the end of it. So actually, did that work for us? Can we tweak it? Can we tweak this process? So at every stage, evaluate. But the hiring manager briefing is by far and away the most important thing at the moment and taking all that data with you to really educate. That's a really important point. And in fact, we had um, a panelist, uh, sort of, we had a comment in the chat actually to that effect, like how do you do it? One of the best ways to do it is to bring market intelligence to the cat, to the hiring manager. And you combine that with recruiting information that you have to demonstrate, hey, we're just taking too long to do this, then that's going to help educate this person. Um, so there's tools out there, talent intelligence, go and check that out as a term, because it will start generating um, examples, case studies and tools that you can use that may be able to help you. Okay, Callie, let's go to you on this bit of advice, please. Yeah, I mean, I think everything's really been said, but just a couple of things, you know, flexibility is cool. You can't be rigid. Um, I think Neil said this much more of it's a much more individual playing field than everything fits everybody. 
And I think you, you just touched on it. I call it wisdom and analytics together. TA teams have so much insight, but if they can use the analytics to help managers understand how we're losing people, what we're missing out, I think that will open it out and let managers, and I think Richard said this, you know, talent briefing, but let managers take more ownership and, and really drive some of these decisions. And, and I think, you know, ultimately, um, it's okay to take some risks. I mean, you know, it, it's, we're going to be limited in certain industries from the pools we have. And one great example is um, in my previous business, we had a healthcare area where we normally went for certain types of people to help us with the vertical. We hired a head of nursing who knew nothing about commercial business and has ended up being the most successful salesperson in that arena. <laughs> so, you know what, let's be more open. That's actually a brilliant bit of advice and maybe something that's worth uh, kind of ending on. Um, it's, it's the case that a lot of the times our crises in recruiting is because we're uh, overly indexing on what we think good looks like. Um, and we're looking at all of these criteria, which there's lots of evidence to suggest that it doesn't actually map onto performance. Uh, we look at things like tenure, for instance. Uh, we look at things like um, uh, prestige brands on the CV, for instance. Um, and we assume that person must be good because they worked at Google or something. Um, and we don't actually know that that's true. Um, and even if they were good in that context, it doesn't mean they're going to be good in your context. Um, so it is really about trying to figure out uh, what is the right way to assess uh, talent in a way that makes sense for your business. And if you do it accurately and effectively, you might open up a talent pool you didn't even know was there. Um, so I think that is uh, a really good uh, piece of advice to, to sit on. Okay, cool. Um, uh, throwing it back over to you, Darren. Um, any more questions, anything we want to do before we wrap? No, I think um, I'm aware that everyone needs two minutes between calls these days and undoubtedly people will have a, a the dreaded 12 p.m. lunch call to yeah. join. So I want to make sure everyone can get a, get a comfort break. But I just want to say a huge thank you to all of all of you. You've been amazing panellists today, Christy, Neil, uh, Richard and Callie, as well to you Hung, for, for moderating today and keeping the energy levels up. Um, all of the attendees who signed up are going to receive an email with a, a recording of today's session um, with links of where to go to do continue the discussion with the panelists we're also going to feature a write-up which um people if if your colleagues haven't attended you can pass to them too um please do check out lorian's um website we've got a, a really good insight page uh which consists of a ton of content including um a recent series that we conducted that was all around in conversation with some of our key client partners around dni and what they're what those client partners are doing to boost DNI um, across their networks. Um, and of course, if you'd like to get in touch with me to talk about uh, how Lorian could help your business, please get in touch with me directly and my contact details will be coming out to you shortly too. But thank you so much everyone for, uh, for attending and taking part and I hope you all have a great day.